I don't know about y'all, but I, I had an opportunity this past week after Sunday worship to, to go down to camp. And while I was at camp, I, I got to watch our students worship, and I got to be around the students of our state worshiping. And, and I, I was blown away by something that just kind of caught me off guard, and that's this. When I left here Sunday morning, and, and we worshiped together, and we sought the Lord's face together, I, I left here believing that God was starting something at Quell Creek. And that time of prayer and that time of focus and that intense moment of going, we believe that God has something prepared and ready for his church. When, when I was driving that direction, uh, I was praying for you guys. And on the way home, it was, it was just me and the radio. And, and I don't know if y'all have had much windshield time with God lately, but that windshield time with God for me was, was life-changing. It, it led me to pray differently for the people in my life. I, I prayed for my family for a season. You know, I just prayed over my wife and my kids and, and asked that God would speak over them. I, I prayed for my parents and their church in Tishomingo and asked that God would speak over that as well. I, I began to pray for people and ministers in our church, and I began to pray for you guys. And then God just kind of said something to me. Are you ready to go back for Sunday? Because I don't know if you've ever been around camp, but camp does something to you. It, it kind of makes you thirsty for a deeper step, a more connective walk. And, and so as I was driving, I just began to pray, God, prepare me for Sunday because, listen, only you can do what you can do. And so I began to pray for our students as they came back and got transplanted back into our church that the fire that they caught at camp, they wouldn't let die out, but that they would just let it spread throughout our church. And that the same token that the fire that we're beginning to catch, would they would see and catch fire of that as well, that we wouldn't just ask our students to lead us, but that we would be willing to lead. And so I began to pray this prayer, God, would you move us in a way, Lord, would you stir me in a way that would move myself out of the way so that you could speak. And so I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready for this Sunday. I walked into the worship service ready to go. I'm not asking for God to, to do something, a next step. I'm ready to experience what God has to say to me. How about you? Amen. If that is you, let's, let's welcome him. Let's pray and let's welcome him this morning. That's right. <laughs> Father God, only you are our source. You are our only aim. God, we want to experience you. We want to hear from you this morning. God, we want you to change our story. God, we want you to move through us and speak through us. God, we want to be useful for your kingdom, God. So that only happens when you encounter us and change us. So God, would you move in this time? God, would you speak over us? God, we need you desperately. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I've, I've told you before my story uh, I'm in August birthday, so my parents put me in the class ahead of me because that worked in the schedule. So I got to be a year ahead of most other birthdays behind me, but it also meant I was the youngest in my class. What that meant mostly was I was undersized at everything we did. I mean, there is a junior high picture in football. I promise you, if you ever want to see this, come to my office. I'll show it to you. I'm on the back row. I wasn't fast enough, so they didn't put me as a wide receiver. I wasn't very strong, so they didn't put me as like, you know, a running back. So the only place they could put me was a lineman. 
because they had plenty of those guys. And so I could just be like four string linemen, put on a jersey and stand on the sideline. I looked like, I looked really more like I was just the mascot than a football player. And so in the picture in junior high, there's all my buddies, the linemen had to stand on the back. It goes, da, 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 boop, da, 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 like that. I mean, it looks like I'm standing on the front row. I just happen to be leaning back. It's just little me. And because of that, I had to fight my way through school. I mean, everybody picked on the little guy. Oh, here comes Kyle. He's undersized. He's slow. He can't catch a football. Glad he came out for the football team. I was very unuseful. But see, something happened. After I graduated high school, I graduated and I was about five foot four. And I stretched every day during that summer. I would hang, like I would just grab onto stuff and let my legs dangle, hoping my spine would elongate. I, I tried everything. By the time I made it to my freshman year of college, I was 5'11". I, I can't even begin to tell you, I got taller than my dad between my senior year and my freshman year of college. And then I strutted everywhere I walked. You know what I'm saying? I was like, look at me. I was still like this big around, so I was like, look at me, you know? I, it was awful, but I, I grew. And what's funny is I had my family with me, and we're in Lubbock, Texas, and we're, we're eating, and in walks my high school football coach. And he, why'd you say, uh-oh? Anyways, uh, he, he orders, and he turns around, and he sees me. And he goes, really? Now? Where was that? And I was like, you better believe it, coach, you know, T-boning it out. But see, we want to be useful. We want to be useful for God's kingdom. We want to be there. We want when God is calling on people that we roll in. Listen, God leaves the church as his great plan for the world. He is hoping that we will carry his message, that we will see the change come from the church. And he leaves us as the example for that. So whenever we curse our world, how dare y'all act like that? The church has got to rise and change it. We can't hope anything else will. And so because of that, we've got to find, how do we become useful? How do we get used for God's kingdom? And this is where this passage we've been in has been. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they'll keep you from becoming useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? That, that we should have this moment, this, this moment of clarity. Listen to what it says in verse 9. It says, The person that lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. That's scary to me. How about you? I want to be in the moment with the Lord. I want to be changed by God. I want him to know that if he is counting on someone, he can count on the Clayton kid. Man, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was known by my last name by my football coach. I mean, he never, he taught my Sunday school class. You'd think he would know me. But he would say, Clayton, come here. And, and for those of y'all that grew up in football like I did, they never just talked to you. They didn't, they, and that may be new. They didn't go, hey, Clayton, because I was short, remember? They always did the same thing. They grabbed you by the face mask, and they pulled you in close. And usually the coach would be like this, hey, I'm talking to Clayton right now. Y'all pay attention. Hey, Clayton. 
hey, I've been talking. And so you're going, you know, he's just holding on to you. He'd say, I need you to get in there and act like a football player. And I'd go, all right, coach. You know, uh, I, I was in it. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be useful. But my problem was this. I was ill-equipped to be useful. And maybe that's where you feel today. Like when it comes to the things of God, you just feel ill-equipped. Like you don't have what it takes. And, and I want you to know something. Because of who has your life, you're equipped. You have everything it takes. There was this great day. We were playing a team, and my coach put me in at, at right defensive end. That means I was on defense. So those of y'all that don't know football. Anyways, quarterback hikes the ball, and he drops back, and I make it through the line somehow. I think it's because I was so small. I was like a mouse. I was just like, weak, you know? But I'm standing there, and I can see the quarterback right in front of me. So I run after him, and I grab him. But he's twice my size. So all we do is we sit there, and we do this in the backfield. He tries to run. I spin him around. And so I, I keep doing that, and I keep hoping in my head, please, someone come and knock this guy down. It's not going to happen. Finally, my teammates get there. We pop up. We're high-fiving each other. They're like, that away, Kyle. And the coach goes, Clayton, get off the field. And I was like, okay. You know, I stood on the sideline. I was pumped. So at, at game film time, we always watch game film the next week. The coach always had one play that he said was the play of the day. And this particular week on the board, it had movie night. Eight seconds. Y'all remember this movie? Cowboy rides on the back of a bull for eight seconds. And then he goes, let me show you the film, fellas. Turn down the lights, and he starts it. And it's me running through the line, grabbing the quarterback. One, two, three, four. Not even joking. Eight seconds until somebody helps me out. And he stops the film, and he goes, player of the week. Jose Bocanegra. It wasn't even me. He just showed my film. And I went, uh. because I'm just joking. It's you, Clayton. He knew Jose's first name. He was my Sunday school teacher. That away, Clayton. I was like, I picked up the you know, little trophy. I was like, thank you guys. Um, <laughs> it was exciting. But it was the one time I felt useful. It's the one time I felt like I was a part of it. And I don't want anybody in this room to go through their whole Christian life and never have the moment where they feel like they're being used by God. I want you to know he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. He wants you to play a part. He doesn't want you to be a side note. He wants you to be the note. He wants you to be in the game. Listen, I don't believe we go about the Christian life so that we can hold our own trophies. But I got to guarantee you, I pray with all of my heart that at the end of my life, I put trophies up for Jesus. Amen. That I'm just following after him, that I'm showing that he is worth it. And so I'm going to go about every possible way that he's called me to do. I want to be a part of what he's doing. So when we get to this passage and we talk about all these supplementing of our faith, look at what it says that we need to supplement. Let's start there in your notes. It says this, that we're to supplement our faith with goodness with knowledge, with, with self-control, with endurance, with godliness, with brotherly affection, and with love. We, we get all these things. 
But listen, here's the next part of that. We don't have these qualities in our lives. We become, when we don't have these qualities in our life, we become two things, Scripture tells us. We become useless and unfruitful. And this is the danger. There's so many people that are going through their Christian lives being two things, and they don't even catch this. They don't catch that they're being useless and unfruitful for the kingdom. Here's why. We're perfectly okay being okay. I had you move today because I wanted you to capture something. A few months back, I had a friend come from another church. I, I, I planned this. I asked him to come and sit in our sanctuary. He came and he sat down. And, and he simply, I just said, I just want you to tell me how our service is going. Tell me what you think of how it lays out, the songs we picked, how I preached. He goes, Great. We, that Sunday, we had a time where we greeted one another. We all stood up. How are you doing? You want to go to lunch after this? That's great. I mean, that all happened. We sat down. We kept going with our service. At the end of service, uh, texted that buddy. I said, hey, can we meet this week? He goes, yeah. Sat down with him that week. I said, what would you think of the service? He goes, I loved it. Loved the songs. Thought the sermon was good. But that greeting time bothered me. And I was like, oh, do tell. He said, everybody got him shook hands with everybody except for me. My planted guy came to the church and no one acknowledged him. How crazy is that? We let somebody slip through. I don't believe it's about shaking hands. I believe it's about coming to sit with somebody. Getting someone to come elbow to elbow with you and acknowledge that you're even here is what makes a difference. So before we move on with the sermon, I'm going to give you a chance at that. I'm going to give you three minutes. Say hi to someone around you right quick. Just reach over, give them a hello. How you doing? Like your haircut? So I, I wanted you to have that opportunity for a reason. One is this. My prayer is that you didn't have to walk very far. Because when we scoot in close and when we do things in community, we want to be around one another. We choose to be intimate with one another, and so we begin to look differently because we have a, a closer group. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask every Sunday that you come that you scoot in. Here's why. Because there's people you probably never sat by that you sat by just a minute ago. You probably sit somewhere else. You, you get your elbow room and you move away from people. Because it's the one time in your day that you feel like that elbow room is there for you. And I believe that God's calling his community to come in close. Because we need each other. We need to be around one another. We need that intimacy. We need the elbow room. And what I was reminded about at camp is this. At camp, at Glorietta, they have this amazing sanctuary. For those of y'all that have been there in your past, you know what I'm talking about. And every time we walked in, it told the students where to sit. They said, Quell Creek, we want you to sit right here. And they'd go, that section there, and they'd all move that direction. But there was a part in the back upstairs that they never set anybody. You know why? They wanted them to be close. Because when you're worshiping and you hear the people next to you worship, you worship. I'm convinced of this, that I, when April and I, we moved this Sunday, because that was my challenge. I wanted to move. I wanted to experience something different. We, it changed how the room sounded to us today. And as we're sitting over there, we'd hear a few people singing. But when y'all moved in, I could hear you all singing. Amen. It was a completely different worship experience for me. And I pray for you.
We need intimacy. We need togetherness. We need it because there's a lost world that's looking for it, and if the church doesn't exhibit it, they'll never see it. We need it because we want to be useful and fruitful instead of useless and unfruitful. That's what the world can produce. They can produce so much, but it's always unfruitful and useless. I'm convinced of this, y'all, that there's a true danger in what it looks like when a people acknowledge God with their lips, but the rest of it's so far from them. Their hearts just can't get there. They can talk the talk, they just can't walk it. I feel like too often the church looks more like Muppets than, than true players after God's word. When I was young, I, like many of y'all, I grew up seeing the greatness of Jim Henson exhibited before me. People like Kermit the Frog, people like Big Bird, Snuffleupagus, come on, right? We love that. That's before Sesame Street taught thugs. Anyways, um, for those of us that grew up in good times, you know, we talked about friendship and love. Now they're talking about, I don't know, I didn't watch it. So it's on HBO now. It can't be good. Anyways, um, so, I mean, I grew up with that, and then I saw something. It was a behind-the-scenes of Jim Henson. And it was all these sets at Sesame Street, and these guys holding the Muppets up. And I was like, oh! What did you do with Kermit's feet? Because for those of y'all that grew up like I did, do you remember Kermit had feet in the movies? He, he walked. And I always thought, well, that's it. Kermit just doesn't like how thin his legs are. So only shooting from the waist up. He's a, I mean, he's awesome. But then I saw Jim Henson holding him up like this, and I was like, you killed him! It wasn't until then I figured out that Kermit couldn't do anything on his own. My childhood mindset was that Kermit was his own guy. That somehow Big Bird was a real bird. That somehow Snuffleupagus was this massive creature that doesn't exist anywhere else but on Sesame Street. It was only then that I realized there was somebody behind them. And so many of us are trying to go through this Christian life on our own. And so we can venture out without the hand of God in our lives. We need Him. That's why the supplementing of our faith is so needed. That's why we need goodness, why we need knowledge, why we need self-control, why we need endurance. All these things are needed in our lives because they're only from God. So if you want to experience God, if you want to be useful and fruitful in your life, you have to go to God. You have to. You have to. You can't produce this on your own. It's an impossibility. You can try it. You can fake it. Remember we talked that there's this, this fakeness that can come out of goodness or brotherly love. We live in that generation where everybody's crying out, oh, but it's love. If it's outside of God's definition of love, it's not it's not love. It can't be. It can't be. You know why? Because the very definition of who God is is love. So if it's contrary to his nature, it's contrary to God. And if it's contrary to God, it's useless, unfruitful. And God wants you to live in greatness. He called you to live a life in abundance, not just at the edge. God isn't asking you to eat the cheese and crackers of faith. He's calling you to dine richly in him. He wants you to see that he has fullness for you and I. He's not asking you to live this on your own. He's not asking you to go back to work on Monday and try it at the best you can. He's saying, trust in me. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in me. Students, you can't go back to school and live out the faith you got at camp. I promise you. It's an impossibility. You know why? Because it's instinctive of us to try it on our own. I can do this. I can do that. But let me just tell you what can happen. If today you'll say, what I got at camp, these moments I had with the Lord, this movement I feel, this ministry I'm in, if all of those things you really feel deep in your heart, keep surrendering to God. Keep surrendering. Just keep giving him all of you. Because what's going to happen is this. He'll lead the way. I want to give you just a few things, students, before I move on. Number one, for those of y'all that attend San Jacinto Christian, not all of your classmates know Christ. I want you to know it, and you know it too. Just because you may attend a Christian school doesn't mean you know Jesus. So go boldly. Don't go soft back to school. For those of y'all that don't attend San Jacinto Christian, God has called you as missionaries from the get-go, just like they did San Jack. God's called you, and he wants you to live out your faith in front of your classmates and even in front of your teachers. So I want to commission you today. I want you to know something. We believe in you all. This whole group of people out here, we believe in you. But I just want to give you this too. We're not asking you all to do this alone. We will never ask you to go to your classmates, to your teachers, to your schools, and share Christ boldly if we won't. We will help you. We'll be with you. We will go too. So just know this. You might have come back from camp ready to go, but so are we. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're ready to go, right? This thought of supplementing our faith, of adding to it, to making it sweet, to making it rich, to showing people around us that when we believe in Christ, it changes our lives. It's so needed. It's so needed not just for a lost world, not for those that don't just know Jesus. It's so good for us. It strengthens us. It equips us. It readies us. And let me just tell you, you may feel today, like I started with, just inefficient, like you don't have what it takes. Let me tell you what it takes to share your faith. A mouth and two ears, and a saving knowledge of Jesus. That's it. You don't have to have fancy ways of sharing your faith. In fact, I really believe the best evangelists are like five-year-olds, seven-year-olds that come to know Jesus. They're the best evangelists in the world. You know why? It's not complicated. They don't come in ready to share theology. They come in ready to share Jesus and how good he is and what he's done for them. I mean, seven-year-olds don't even have to complicate it. They show back up to school, and they go, you know what happened? I heard about Jesus, and that he can save my life. I asked him to forgive my sins and lead me, and you should too. And their friends go, okay. You know why? Because a seven-year-old's not as hard-headed as a 40-year-old. But can I just remind you of this? Jesus always talks about the kingdom of heaven belonging to those that have faith like children. Let us not lose sight of the simplicity and the greatness of the gospel because we're adults. We need a little bit more childish nature when it comes to the understanding of what our friends and neighbors and coworkers need. Your coworkers don't need you to give them a thesis. They, they don't need a master's doctorate hanging on your wall to share your faith. 
They need the Jesus that loves and forgives you. And you need to take him to work with you. You need to get ready to take him to school with you. There's this movement back in the day. The Jesus movement. Happened in the 70s. Happened because Woodstock had kind of taken place and, and there was all this drug abuse and everything else. But out of all of that season came a group of people like Andre Crouch. Uh, Johnny Cash changed his heart. Came to know Jesus. And because of that, they started to change the tide. They would have these, these times where people would come in and they would exchange like weed and drugs for Bibles at concerts. It's unreal. And then a date happened. They called it Explo 72. Explo 72 was unlike anything they had seen before. You see, Explo 72 started with, with a guy that led Campus Crusades for Christ. He, uh, he gathered thousands of college and young adult students in Dallas, Texas at the Cotton Bowl. He brought in Andre Crouch. He brought in Johnny Cash. He brought in all these singers. Felt like Woodstock. In fact, they call it the Christian Woodstock of their day. And they get all these people in the Cotton Bowl. And, and for a couple of days, they preach Jesus and how to share him. And man, people are just celebrating him, coming to know Christ. They, they brought friends with them from concerts they had taken them to. And all of a sudden, they're showing up at Explo 72. Well, the night happens. And out on stage walks Billy Graham. Billy Graham stands up and people just go nuts. They're cheering and Billy's kind of like, okay, please sit down. Uh, thank you. you know, okay, hippies, sit down. Finally, they stop and, and Billy Graham welcomes them and they, they bring out some bands and Billy walks back out. And he preaches this radical gospel of how Jesus can change lives and he can use anyone to do it. And he commissions these students, these young adults at Explo 72, and he says to them this, do not waste your life. At the back of the room, all the way at the back of the cotton ball, all the way up at the top stands a man, Mike Huckabee. You might have heard of him. Young college man. He was sitting there, he's from a small town, and, and he could remember Billy Graham saying, God can use anybody. And he said, God can't use me. I'm from a small town. No one even knows my name, Billy Graham. But what they didn't know is that day, as they came in, they were all handed something. So I had something in hand as they sat down, they worshiped all day. And, and Billy Graham at this point, he's just like, listen, I want y'all to know you live in the darkest of days. Right now, it's worse than it's ever been. But God is as good as he has ever been. And because of that, we can change the darkness. We can push it back and we can defeat it. And he says, but I don't think you get it today because you're all in here and you're worshiping a Jesus and you've all gotten comfortable sitting around and singing about him and talking about him. So I want to show you what darkness really looks like. And then he lit his candle. He said, let me show you what darkness really looks like. This is darkness. He said, many of you have come today from your college campuses and, and your hometowns and your small churches, and you feel insignificant. You feel like nothing matters, and you feel like 
you don't have a place and that God can't use you. He said, but that's not the light talking. That's the darkness. And we were called to be light. So with that, Billy Graham went up to Bill Bright and he lit his candle. And he asked Bill, share your light. And then he walked up to another one on the stage and he said, you have the light, share your light. And he kept walking up to more and more people and he kept saying, you're the light. Share the light. And you can just imagine as as this kept going on, there's thousands of college students all over the Cotton Bowl. And one by one, they just allowed worship to happen in the quietness of the moment. They just said, hey, listen, we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And we believe that once he starts, he will never stop. He is the light of the world and you have the light. He said, share the light. darkness doesn't change it doesn't have to get darker because we have the light and we can share it we can change the darkness and one light may seem small one light may seem insignificant but not when everybody's got it not when the church shows up Not when people who are called by God's purpose and according to his name will stand elbow to elbow with one another and come in close and say we're no longer going to be out in the distance from one another. No, we're going to be intimately close. We're going to come near each other. We're going to be there for each other. We're going to worship with one another. We're going to open the word with one another. We will be there for one another. When that happens, the darkness has no chance hear me in this you are in the darkest of days but it doesn't have to stay that way nor should it you know why because I learned a song when I was little it said this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine but I never sang that song alone how about you see I sang it when I was at VBS I sang it when I was in youth I sang it when I was even in college And as adults, we have forgotten the lyrics to that song. Instead, we have said, their little light of theirs, they're going to let it shine. There doesn't need to be the next generation to rise up. We will be the generation. We will be the people that show up and declare the greatness of the gospel of Jesus. We will be the people that stand and say in the darkest part of our world, we have a light and we will let it shine. With 15,000 students at the Cotton Bowl, that night, 
as they stood and their lights lit up the cotton bowl. Billy Graham said it may have seemed dark, but Jesus is more than enough. I want to tell you, Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. And he is giving you his light to share in the world. You may think you're insignificant, but the light of Jesus is in you. Let it shine. That night, the fire department was called. People were saying all over town as they drove past, the cotton bowl is on fire. Because that night, thousands of college students started to attend schools all over the nation. Thousands of new ministers were launched out. People like Mike Huggaby who went to lead churches and speak to the nation. Listen, can God call his people to his mission? Can he? Then hear his call. He is calling don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you don't possess the light, I want you to, I just want you to know something. It may seem dark. It may seem dim. It may seem like there is no way of escape. It may seem like you don't have what it takes. It may seem like nothing in your life makes sense. I want you to know something. There's people in this room that want you to see their light. Thank you. They want you to experience the light of Christ. And listen, you may have classmates, you may have coworkers that have never felt the greatness of the knowledge of Jesus. And they're waiting to see, us. does it make any difference? Take your light with you. Let it shine before them. Make sure they know that Jesus is in you. Carry him because he's worth it. My prayer is this, that today the Lord will set this place on fire and that he'll start with you and I. May you see that his light is great. And may you carry that light everywhere you go. Because this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. How about you? May the light of Christ be known amongst us. May he change our city. May he change our town. May he change our world. And may he change us. No longer useless. No longer unfruitful. May Jesus change us. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Maybe this morning you don't know our Jesus and you want to. Be some guys down here to meet with you. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe today you're like me. And you just need some time to cleanse your heart, ask forgiveness for some stuff, and ask Jesus to lead you forward. My prayer is this. These, these candles are symbolic, but they're candles. Your life matters more to God. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you want to come and pray today, bring your candle with you. Blow it out and just leave it here on the altar. As a symbol of God, I want you to light my life on fire. I want you to carry me into my places of influence so that people will see the light of Jesus. 
If that's you, would you come lay your candles here? Maybe right where you are, you just leave it in that pew and you would kneel and pray and say, God, use me. Make me useful and fruitful for your kingdom. Maybe today you need to find somebody in this room and just say, I want to pray for you. Here's my prayer, adults. There's a whole section over here of people that need to be prayed for. There's a whole section of students that need to hear from an adult that they're loved and prayed for. So you want to know an action? When I say amen, that's a good action. Let's let our students know that they're not alone. We're not asking them to go where we will not. But may the light of Jesus be known. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, God, that you'd move in this place. God, you'd speak over these people. Lord, speak over me. Use us, Lord. Speak over us, Jesus. And may your light be known. You're good and you're holy. Praise you, God, what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The lights are going to come on. You stand with me. Blow out those candles and you come.